Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study, taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are. promises are sure, but oftentimes we don't live in those promises. Join us now while we study the life of Isaac and seven ways he walked in the promises of God as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. We will Cheryl's message, Isaac, Seven Steps to Walking in the Promises of God. So I have a, um, a dear friend, and she served with me over the years in ministry. And uh, she lives in Arizona now, so I'm safe in all that I say, and I hope this doesn't get back to her, because she'd always be like, don't talk about me if you can help it. So, can't help it. She is a faithful friend, but what I want to talk about today, so maybe I can get away with it, is her amazing husband. First of all, I want to say that he makes the best coffee I have ever had in my entire life. But secondly, I want to say that he does not serve in ministry. He has a regular nine-to-five job that he goes to um, whatever hours they dictate to him. But in his spare time, he has always volunteered at the church whatever needed doing, whether it was cleaning, setting up, barbecuing, or fixing people's cars, or even making that delicious pot of coffee. He was there, and he was willing. Every day he gets up for a laborious job. He's diligent at work. He's always on time. To my knowledge, he's never missed a day of work. In his job, he is one of the best employees. He has counseled his fellow workers. He has ministered to the men he works with. He has shared his faith. He has showed them hospitality. He has volunteered to take them to church. He is a great father, he's a good steward, and he's a good husband. The last time I talked with him, he told me about a Muslim man that he worked with, and that this man had had all these businesses that he had lost quite a few of them. And this man, this Muslim man, was always in financial straits and totally filled with discontent. And he looked at my friend's um, husband, Michael, and he said, What is the secret of your contentment and your happiness? And Michael explained to him that he didn't have much, but what he had was all paid for, and that he didn't want to be rich because he had riches waiting for him in heaven. And it wasn't seven virgins, but it was riches untold. I marveled as I talked with Michael. I am so impressed with his godly life. But you know, there's nothing noteworthy about the work he does. He'll never be written up. He's one of those guys that's rarely noticed. He just goes about loving Jesus and walking in the promises of God. And when I think about Isaac, I can't help but think about Michael. Isaac was a man who simply walked in the promises of God. There were no great 
cataclysmic events, no great upheavals. It was just a consistent course that stayed consistent in the path of walking in the promises of God. I have always wanted to have a thrilling testimony. I was raised around hippies and they all had like these incredible testimonies. Um, My dad used to tell me about the colorful people that his father would witness to in prison that would get saved and go to their dinner table because, you know, my grandpa was always inviting anybody who got saved home to his wife's home cooking uh, to his house. And uh, my grandmother was, um, from what I've heard, a fantabulous cook. All I know, she made me raisin bread because she uh, passed away when I was four. But they were just... um, this family that just shared Jesus. And my dad said, oh, you know, and he'd have these stories about like the mafia guy that came to dinner that got saved or the guy who had been an armed robber who got saved and went to dinner at their house or the hobos that used to come to their house. My grandpa would invite them in, the homeless around the table. My grandmother would feed them or the thieves. In fact, my dad knew how to break into houses He knew how to pick a lock. And I, Dad, how do you know these things? He goes, well, you know, there was this guy, Joe, that got saved, you know, in prison. And he taught my brothers and I a few things, you know. (laughs) And you know, you'd read that, you'd hear that, and you'd be like, I want a testimony. You know, I, my life seems so ordinary by comparison. But I have to tell you, I have never wanted to try life without Jesus. I'm just too big of a scaredy cat. I don't want to face the obstacles and problems. You know, life is hard enough with Jesus. I don't want to do it without Jesus. I always believed the Bible stories. From the time I heard them, I believed them. And I incorporated them into my own life. I wanted to live and claim the promises of God. I've always loved the promises. I didn't want to live a day without the promises. When I was four years old, I memorized my first scripture, which was Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help you. And every time I've been afraid, I have held out my right hand to Jesus. And he's taken it and he's held it. I hate crying publicly. But my Jesus has held my hand and he's seen me through everything. Everything. And I've never wanted to lose that grit or that clasp of his hand. So I don't have a testimony. It's all to say I don't have a testimony. I just, just, you know, this is my life. I walk with Jesus. I love him. I've shared with you that how when I was 12, I made up a testimony. (laughs) It's because I had hippies for... um, I had hippies for Sunday school teachers in junior high. And our retreats were we stayed on the floor of a church in our sleeping bags out in Palm Desert. And they drove us to Palm Springs. This is our outing. You know, we didn't didn't go swimming. We didn't, you know, play flag football. They dropped us up in Palm Springs and said, now witness. And we were driven there in Volkswagen vans without seatbelts. And they open the doors and they say, now witness, I'm 12 years old. I walked up to a bunch of hippies that were smoking pot and I told them they needed Jesus. And they said to me, what do you know about life? And I said, hey. <laughs> I've lived it. 
Yeah, I used to have a problem with drugs, but then Jesus came into my life. And I don't want to do drugs anymore. I just want Jesus. And they looked at me and they said, you've done drugs? Yeah. Okay, what's a roach clip? I said, it's the thing that bites you when you smoke pot. (laughs) Well, Bill Welsh, who is now the Calvary Chapel pastor of um, refuge in Huntington Beach, he heard me. And he came over very sweetly, kind of just put his arm on my shoulder and said, you know, can I take her for a few minutes away from this group? And he opened his Bible. I think it was a good news for modern man. And he showed me a wonderful scripture that says, if by a lie I can win people to Christ, should I lie? And it said, God forbid. And I went, oh. So I shouldn't make up a testimony. He's like, And you know, there's like this smile that kept coming like, you know, and uh, that was when I learned I got to keep the one I got. But I think, you know, as I grow older at 54, I am really enjoying the more sedate testimonies. I'm loving those testimonies. Well, I always walked with Jesus. Really? Praise the Lord. That's so good. You know, when you have children, you pray that they don't have a testimony, don't you? May it be they walked with God or were not because God took them. I mean, that's the testimony we want for our children, isn't it? And I'm learning, you know what? The testimony is the walking with God. The testimony is the walking in the promises of God. Now, Isaac's life was not problem-free. He experienced heartache, the loss of his dear mother, the loss of his father. He faced the unknown. He experienced deficit. He lived through famine. He had men quarrel with him. He had two sons that could not get along. Yet there was nothing especially thrilling about his life either. There were no great moves from one country to another, no call to leave his family and relatives, no great war fought against an array of kings, no special blessings from men like Melchizedek, king of the most high God. Yet we have so much to learn from Isaac about simply daily walking in the promises of God. So how did Isaac walk in the promises of God? Step one, Isaac believed God's word given to his father, Abraham. He believed the word of God. In Genesis 22, when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, have you ever noticed how Isaac is fully cooperative? He carries the wood. He allows his father to bind him on the altar. Now you must remember that Isaac is probably in his 30s by this time. And that makes Abraham about 130. Isaac could have easily overcome his father and refused to be that sacrifice. But Isaac believed Abraham when he said that God would provide himself a sacrifice. And Isaac was even willing to be that sacrifice. Such was his faith in the word of God We also see Isaac's separation because of the word and promises of God. He was separated from Ishmael in Genesis 21, 10 through 14. His mother insisted that Ishmael and his mother be sent away. Isaac was separated from his father's concubines, sons, in Genesis 25, 5 through 6. 
He was singled out because he believed God's word to his father. Isaac believed he was a son of promise. He believed that he was the heir to the lineage of blessing. So that was step one. He believed the word of God. Step two, Isaac waited on God and God's promises. He let God make the choices in his life. He trusted God with the most important choices in his life. This is especially seen regarding the choosing of his wife, Rebecca, in Genesis 24. He left this choice up to his father and his father's servant. Now, to me, this is absolutely amazing because I have to tell you, my mom, my mom is a doll, but I remember being 15 years old and this handsome man sitting on a bus. We were on one of the tours of Hawaii. And he looked at my mother. He said, I'd certainly like to marry your daughter, Cheryl. And she said, you can have her. (laughs) And this, this man proceeded to sing me a song, which I found absolutely embarrassing at 15 years old. And he asked me how old I was. And I said, I'm 15. And he said, I think I'm going to move to the back of the bus. (laughs) A little bit later, I remember a man um, asking me out, taking me out. And he said to me, I've already talked to your mom and dad, and they're all right with me pursuing you for marriage. (laughs) And she's just like, you know what? I'm going to have a talk with my mom and dad when I get home. To leave it up to, you know, not even his father, but his father's servant. This was something exceptional when you realize that Isaac was 40 years old. He had to wait a long time for that, for that servant and for his father to make the decision. But he waited. He waited for that wife of promise. He waited for the servant to follow Abraham's directives and go. He obeyed his father's prohibition about not taking one of the Canaanite women, which I think is really interesting since his dad took an Egyptian and then a Canaanite woman, Keturah. It's almost like Abraham's like, now don't do what I did. Get yourself a good woman. (laughs) And God chose exactly the right woman for Isaac. God led the servant to the right city, answered the servant's prayer. Rebecca was a distant cousin, and she was willing to come. And, he, and she took an immediate interest in Isaac when she saw him. I love how you have her coming in, and Isaac's meditating in the field. Now, remember, there are all these people mulling about, you know, uh, the tents. And at this time, Isaac still lives with his father. It's a compound. And there's lots of people going, you know, back and forth. And she's just getting to this little compound, these beautiful tents. And there's somebody off in the field who's about 40, and I think he's devastatingly handsome. That's my own impression. And because she says, who's that? You know, now there's all these people, but who's that guy over there in the field walking? And they're like, oh, that's Isaac. And she's like, oh, I'm putting on my veil. The wedding veil. She's like, I'm in this. I'm putting on my veil. I'm ready to marry him. Bring him on. Bring him to me. And we're told that Isaac took her into his mother's tent and he loved her. This is only the second occasion that the Bible has talked about love 
in Genesis from the beginning. The first occasion was how Abraham loved Isaac. And now Isaac loves Rebekah. That waiting on the Lord for his very, very best. You know, there's some of us that don't wait for God's best. But Isaac was willing to wait. Step three, Isaac sought God's provision in deficit. Now remember, at one point, his father had sought his own intuition in deficit. He had gone to Egypt. Another time, because of the deficit of son, the lingering of the promise, Abraham had taken Hagar. But now Isaac's got a deficit. For 20 years, he's been married to Rebekah, and she's been unable to conceive. Isaac doesn't find a concubine. He doesn't find a handmaiden. He doesn't go for an aphrodisiac. But instead, he begins to plead with the Lord to bring about all that God has promised. The expectation of a child took time. But when Isaac prayed, the Lord heard and Rebekah conceived twins. Step four, Isaac obeyed God's word, Genesis 26. God speaks to Isaac during a famine in Canaan. And he has one directive, do not go to Egypt. You know, go where, stay in this land, dwell in this land, don't go to Egypt. So you could almost say it's two. One's is a positive, one is a negative. The positive, dwell. The negative, don't go. Now the logical thing would be to go to Egypt because they would have food. His father had gone to Egypt during a time of famine and you usually do what your parents do, don't you? Do you find yourself doing things that your parents did and you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I using Tide for my clothes? Because my mother used Tide. Why do you use joy for my dishes? Because my mother would buy anything that said joy. <laughs> Why do I fold my towels in thirds? Because my mother folded her towels in thirds. Why do I do hospital corners when I don't even like the sheets tucked in? Because my mother did hospital corners. You know, you find yourself just doing these things almost naturally. One of my favorite things is apples and cheese because my mother every day at three o'clock had to listen to Jay Vernon McGee and eat apples and cheese or crackers and cream cheese. Every day, this was her special time with a, a cup of coffee. And you know, why do I love coffee? My mother loved coffee. My dad thought it was a curse, but made it for my mother every day. So he must have not felt that strongly about it. But, you know, we do these things. So the natural inclination for Isaac would be to go to Egypt. But he obeys the Lord. Egypt looks like, oh, it's going to have the provision. It's all I need. But he doesn't. He obeys the instructions of God. And God reaffirms his promise to Isaac. When Isaac 
obeys. God says, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Do you realize that this is the first time that we read that Isaac hears from the Lord and has a personal encounter with the Lord. Isaac has prayed. Isaac has walked in the promises. Isaac has trusted uh, God's word. He's trusted uh, his father, the Lord, in finding him a wife. And now we see him obeying the Lord and God speaking to him in this time of deficit. The provision. Isaac dwelt in Gerar in Canaan. There God protected him. He actually repeated his father's pattern there of saying his wife was his sister, but he was caught kissing her. I love that. And the king says, hey, what's going on? I could have taken her in my harem, but who wants a woman with twins in your harem? Especially wild boys that don't get along, you know? It's so funny. I was um, was up at my son's house last year and he left me to watch the boys while he went in the house and we were all in the backyard together. And you know, one of the boys kind of, you know, they were uh, three and two at the same, at the time and one kind of, you know, shouldered uh, the other one. And the other one's not about to take that, the little one. So he comes at his brother with both hands and pushes him. And then, hey, it's fair game. So then, you know, big brother pushes him back. And pretty soon, they're literally rolling on the grass. Like, you know, just, you know, fighting or whatever, you know, scrambling about. And Chuck comes out and he's like, mother, you're supposed to be watching him. I said, well, I figured they'd work it out. (laughs) And be a little more tired for it. You know, I've been watching my grandsons, my older grandsons, 13 and 7. They've been in my house. They've been having Nerf gun fights. They've been, you know, they've been tumbling over my furniture. Things have been getting broken. This is all to say, who wants to take a woman with twins into their harem? That's my whole point. (laughs) Nobody took Rebecca into their harem. She might be beautiful, but those twins were very... um, protective. And we're told there that God blessed him in Gerar and made him very prosperous to the point that Abimelech the king says, please, please go away. Now, step five, Isaac sought to be where God wanted him to be. So we find him in Gerar. When the Philistines begin to envy him, King Abimelech comes to him and says, go away. This is chapter 26 of Genesis. You're mightier than we are. And Isaac knows not to go to Egypt, but he begins to move about Canaan, trying to find the right place to settle. I like this because, you know, God didn't tell him where to go. God's just like, I'll direct you. And sometimes God will use natural means. You know, resources are in this place and they're not in this place. This is where the job is. This is where the job isn't. And sometimes God uses our very circumstances to put us in the right place. And that's what we see with Isaac. He goes to the valley of Gerar and he digs a well, but the herdsmen of Gerar begin to quarrel with him. So Isaac names that well Esek or quarrel and he moves on. He goes to a second place and he digs another well 
And again, other herdsmen come in. Now, he's had to move from Gerar because Abimelech asked him. He's had to move from the Valley of Gerar because of this quarrel. In the second, uh, second, or you could call it the third place, they dig a well. There's um, argument, quarreling about this. So he names it Sitna or hostility. Then he moves to the third place and he digs another well and there's no quarrel. And he names it Rehoboth. Or for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Or in other words, this is probably the place God has for us to be. And he settles in Beersheba. Isaac lived and claimed the promises of God. He believed the word of God. He waited on God and God's promises. He sought God's provision in deficit and he obeyed God's word. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Isaac, Seven Steps to Walking in the Promises of God. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we will look at three more steps to walking in the promises of God as we continue studying Isaac in our series with Cheryl Broderson through the lineage of the King. We do hope you make plans to join us. We will come before you, Lord, in wonder, This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.